Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit A26LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program and the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Our first panelist has written on Breakout Kings and Chicago Fire, among other things. Please welcome Michael Gilvery. Please have a seat. Thank you for being here. This is cozy. With early credits on Star Trek Enterprise, uh, Reigns in Cold Case, our next panelist was most recently co-producer on Justified and is currently working on his Fox pilot, Wild Blue, a naval drama. Please welcome Taylor Elmore. Our final <laughs> panelists are the creators of the hit series Numbers, which ran for six seasons on CBS. They are currently working on a pilot for USA based upon an Elmore Leonard story. Please welcome Nicholas Foster. Let's jump right in, and uh, Nick and Cheryl, let's start with you guys, uh, and then uh, talk to Taylor about uh, pilots that you're currently working on. Um, tell me about this new pilot is for USA. It's based on the Elmore Leonard story, right? It's based on the Elmore Leonard story, When the Women Come Out to Dance, which mm-hmm. is a short story in the same book that um, was Fire, just just fire in the Hole. Fire in the Hole. Yeah. That's justified. Well, is the same book. Same book. It's the same book, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so tell me about how you guys got involved with this. Was it something that you had and pitched to the network or studio, or were you brought in? Well, it was kind of interesting. We This is, goes back to 2000, end of 2009, I think. We were just sort of meeting around, talking to different production companies, and we got called into Mark Gordon's company. Mm-hmm. And his pers- development person there had three ideas she wanted to pitch us, and this was the short story was one of them. And that was the one we were interested in. So she said, well, come back and meet the rights holders. So we came back, and the rights were held by Elmore Leonard's granddaughter and her producing partner, who did, and they do some producing. So we met with them and talked to them, and we kind of all got on the same page. But they couldn't get on the same page with Mark Gordon's company. So Mark Gordon, so they took it away from Mark Gordon and then called us back and said, but we still want to work with you. So we said, that's, not, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it was nice. So we said, okay, that's, let's all talk about how we see this show. And then we decided, we thought at this, we had pitched, we you know, sold a lot of different pilots in the past, but there's all kinds of issues. We, want, we thought this time we would like to try to meet with production companies first, find the right production company so we're all on the same page going forward and kind of step it like that. Yeah. So we went and met with, I don't know, like 10 different production companies at least. Yeah. At least. I, I, this, is, I, this is something that comes up quite a bit, especially lately, that it feels like this is the right way to start entering into this whole pitch phase. I think more and more people are doing it. But when you went in to meet with these production companies, how fully formed was the show? Not. Because if it was fully formed and we knew exactly what 
what we wanted to do, then why not just go to the network mm -hmm. and say, here's which is what we do with numbers. Like, here's what yeah. we want to do. Normally, we would typically go right to networks. Mm -hmm. Right. But we wanted, this was a sensitive piece to us. It was, uh, we wanted to keep it a little darker, a little less traditionally commercial. And you want your production company on board with, with you if you're going to do that. Sure. So we wanted the right ones. And we wanted one, a production company that knew its network well because that's when they get useful to you and they can share the burden and work with you, not against you. Sure. And, and when, uh, I was just going to say, particularly because it's Elmore Leonard, the tone is so important, and that's why we felt like instead of just walking straight into the network, we wanted to get product, uh, producers who understood exactly what we're trying to do, and they could be on our side yeah. and help fight that fight. That makes sense. So we met with a lot of people, and the ones we really clicked with were Hypnotic, which is Doug Lyman and Dave yeah. Bardis's company, they have an executive there named Lindsay Sloan that we had worked with on our second ever pilot when she was way back with Mark Johnson. So we've known her for years and years, and we felt very comfortable with them. So then we kind of, that's the point where we worked work to pitch out and mm -hmm. said, here's what we see, here's what we'd like to do. And at that point, they weren't, it wasn't a USA project. They wanted to try wherever they could sell it. Mm -hmm. And everyone always, we, we, we were talking, we wanted to do cable and the Production companies were always like, but why don't we try the networks first? Everyone's yeah. like, well, why don't we try the networks? Um, Just to see what happens. But no. so we. Um, but I'm curious, uh, and from a creative standpoint, so you have the story as the jumping off point. Uh, and how do you start to build a series around that? And you, well, can you talk a little bit about what it's about? Since yeah, obviously I can, well, no one has I should, seen it. I should touch on that because um, if you ever read the short story, and then watch the pilot, you would say, where the really? how are those yeah. two things relate? Well, the short story is about a Colombian woman who lives in Miami and is a housekeeper. And what you do, basically what you pick up as you read the story is that if you have someone in your life that you want to get rid of, you hire her, she comes to your house and works for you, and at some point when you both feel comfortable, you broach the subject of, <laughs> of, of getting this person you want gotten rid of killed. And then she arranged, you pay her some money and she arranges it. And in the story, the woman who wants to kill her husband, she after, after she's had him killed and she comes, you know, she goes and gets access to all his money and everything, she comes home at the end of the day and finds that the housekeeper's waiting for her with the guys who did the job. And she kind of realizes that now, rather than being free, she, she's, they, own they own her. And that's the end of the story. And we wanted to do... Well, boy, did we use this as a jumping-off point. <laughs> well, well, what's, what's interesting well, about actually, that? It was in yeah. it was in our first meeting. Uh, it kind of clicked for Cheryl, both of us, in our minds that this is a way to do a black market Mary Poppins. Yeah, <laughs> sort that, of that, a that the person who could do these things for yeah. you ultimately would be doing them for good, mm -hmm. for good reasons. But in a very dark way. We yeah, love that right. she was Colombian, and one of the things he put in the story was someone asks her she's, if her dark connections come from the drug business, and she, in her own mind, says, because I'm Colombian, they assume it's mm -hmm. drugs. We love the idea that it would not be drugs. Mm -hmm. It would not be all the Which, And you guys lifted that line right into the script, yeah. I know. Yes, yes, we did. It's great. It's still and in there. It's still in there. And so we wanted her to not be drugs and not be any of the cliches of Colombia and South America mm -hmm. and Latinas. And then it became, what is it? <laughs> and so it's, she comes, you know, it's she was originally a mail-order bride. We tried to keep that, boy, that was a lot of fights <laughs> over that. But she's still, it's still an arranged fake marriage. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a green card marriage, and both of them know it, and it's only for two years. And the reason, the guy she marries is an up-and-coming Miami politician who is white. 
and needs and unmarried and unmarried and, and has and no standing in the Latino community and, right. the, and it, which is 60% of the voters in and, yeah, Miami. It's a great mechanism to get yeah, him so he, to have to find that wife. Yeah, he, he's told early on that he needs a Latina wife and she needs a green card and off from there. And then in Miami, the politics is so dirty and so messy that we like the idea of someone coming from Columbia where it's always also dirty and messy <laughs> and even more so. And that's kind of where it all just kind of mushes in together. And then she has contacts. Because there's so many Colombians in Miami, mm-hmm. she does have some dark contacts from the past. Uh, and, and it does, I mean, I guess kind of like justified that even the short story uh, presents an opportunity for a kind of procedural, right? Yes. But the show is not a procedural. It's not a procedural. Although it has those elements like the USA shows do. To an extent. It was funny. As we developed it, it initially had a heavy procedural element and, and for, we developed it for NBC, and we did sell it to NBC at first, and it had a heavy procedural element, and they were happy with that. It was also way more violent than it ended up. It was yeah. really, really yeah. the NBC version had some pretty nasty on-screen violence. Wow. And then we ended up losing that and having a, but it's a similar, it's kind of a similar mechanism, but not as violent. But they asked us to take out the procedural element entirely. Wow. Yeah. So That's fun. we may have a little one that winds through some of the episodes, mm-hmm. but it's going to be much more of continuing storylines. Cool. That's fantastic. Uh, well, we can't wait. Thank and, you. And good luck, right? Well, yeah, we show Thank it. You. We have the producer's cut goes to the network tomorrow. That's very exciting. <laughs> so we just spent a week editing it. <laughs> and you like it. You're happy with it, right? We're actually very happy with good. it. We, got, we, hit, I, we have um, a great cast. We got yeah. this. I don't know. Did any of you see Miss Bala, which was a yeah. little indie movie? It's great. Thank you. That <laughs> we got that actress. She's great. And she yeah, she's is Stephanie Sigmund. Stephanie Sigmund. She's she's absolutely fabulous and we could be wrong, but we think she's a star. Cool. Well she's gonna be a star. Whether we make her a star or someone else does, yeah. someone, will make, someone star. will make her a star. And then we have sure. Brian Greenberg who was on HBO's How to Make It in America. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess One Tree Hill is this other big thing. And then we have Stephen Root, oh, okay. who is... And then there's this guy. Oh, this guy. There's this guy, Kamel Nanjiani. Nan- yeah, yeah, they don't know him here. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't his house. <laughs> and he's, he's stunning in it. I mean, awesome. the network freaked out over the dailies when That's they right. saw him. So. Uh, he, you know, actually... Sorry. Go ahead. Is he playing sort of a comic? He is playing the ICE agent, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement, who is is assigned to investigate their marriage and who, from the minute, he's like the first face you see on screen and you can tell he's, I don't know how he does this, because he does... Nonverbal, clear language better than anyone I've ever seen. And the look on his face is, "You are lying. I will catch you." <laughs> and that's what he plays for the entire. It's amazing. He's great. Fantastic. Uh, we sort of glossed over this, I realize, but so you guys teamed with uh, Hypnotic, and then you okay. took it to the networks and NBC. Well, bit. we actually took it to NBC. It was our first pitch. Okay. We had it set up to pitch at all the networks except CBS, which I was, I was fighting going there because I thought that they would make it way too light, way too commercial. I'm trying to think, what it, would there, it, like touched by a maid, you know. I thought it would be. <laughs> that, is a, that is a different and, Cinemax show. Yeah, and be, it, would, it would be moving. You know, I had a nickel. You know, the housekeeper whisperers. I mean, it would be very moving and emotional. And, and I, I just was fighting taking it there. And C, uh, NBC bought it right away, and then they, everyone got excited and said, well, we want to take it everywhere, and they were trying to talk me into even CBS. <laughs> and I knew, that's one danger, I knew CBS would buy it, 
And I knew yeah. that they would make a tough play for it. So I was really like, no, no, I do not want to go. You can get sucked in there, and Sorry. then you're doing six years. And, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. But, um, and as, as Les says, they don't need, they don't have strong needs. They have, but, slots. but fortunately, UC, uh, Hypnotic has a deal with UCP, Universal Cable Productions, and Universal Cable Productions and NBC are owned by the same people. And someone intelligent in the company finally just said, wait a minute. Don't sell it someplace else. We're going to buy it. Don't don't get bids against ourselves, yeah. which disappointed UCB, UCP, but made us happy because yeah. then we just could go forward. Yeah, we wanted it to be over at Universal. Yeah. And so we'll we'll pick up because I do want to talk a little bit about developing there and then developing it. At yeah, I mean, UCP of any of any of the networks, we thought NBC could do the show right, Fox could do the show right, mm -hmm. but Fox didn't have a lot of slots, <laughs> so we were very wary of Fox for that reason. So. Interesting. Uh, Taylor, tell us about working on your current pilot. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> sort of exactly the opposite experience. <laughs> right down the line. How so? Um, I, I came in, you know, I'd come in from Justify. I'd done three seasons on, or actually when this started, I'd done one season on Justify. Mm -hmm. I did season two. And Sony, usually traditionally when you are when you start on a new show, they, they make a non uh, non-development deal, so you don't get right. to develop the first two years. I, for some reason, didn't have that, so they were like, here, you go do something. So they gave me a blind pilot script, and it was my first blind pilot script and my first real pilot script, so I, I fully expected it to be a complete just thanks, but nothing's going to happen. And uh, so they, I started pitching within Sony um, and it quickly wound up at Granvia, uh, which is Mark Johnson's company with Melissa Bernstein. Because I love Breaking Bad so much, and it was one of those things that, like, I, can I work with you? And, and they were like, yeah, what do you got? And I pitched them a couple of things I was really passionate about and whatever, and, and then they said, oh, that's good, man. <laughs> and, and, then they, and I said, well, you know, i got to think about an aircraft carrier. And they were like, sit down. So, Wait, why was that the thing that clicked? Did you I, ever you know, find out? With them, I, I think the idea was when I kind of pitched it to them initially, which is hilarious when you watch the track of this thing as it's gone on, I pitched to them the notion of this sort of crazy upstairs, downstairs. It's like when I grew, I grew up in this Navy town, and I knew the stories. People would come back and be like, "Yeah, they put us on boats with women for like nine months, and they were not supposed to have sex at all ever, and we're having a lot of sex." So, so I was like, "Okay, that's I'm in. Uh, let's let's you know." The guy who a guy I knew said, "Yeah, they put us on night on, on night duty to walk around the decks, and we put on these night vision goggles, and it's just like watching people hook up in green." I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to do that, you know. And you wonder why that's sold. <laughs> so I, you know, so I went in and pitched them. Top Gun meets, you know, ER meets The West Wing on this sort of thing. And they were like, okay, we're totally in. That's literally how I did it. I was like, a bunch of shows that jammed together on a boat. And, uh, and I'm like, so we'll take it. That's and, how you uh, pitch a drama. It's setting plus ER plus West Wing. <laughs> plus Downton Abbey. It's like, it right. really was. We were invoking Downton Abbey. Whatever zeitgeist down. like, So we couldn't invoke Downton Abbey. We were like, upstairs, downstairs. Like, oh, oh, of course. Like, completely different thing. So, but they were great. And they, and they said, yeah, let's go. Let's take this somewhere. And I said, a weird impassioned email to Chris Parnell at Sony at that point about how the things it could possibly be and and he you know he was like all right let's do this and so all of a sudden we we were moving ahead with it and took it out to CBS sorry we didn't take it to CBS took it to ABC NBC and Fox and ABC and NBC were like we have no idea what to do with this thank you <laughs> uh, and Fox was like we'll take it so um, 
and it was like right in the room, and, and we just, oh, okay, well, that's, that's that then. And very quickly we started realizing there is just no way to make this simply or cheaply or in any way that and, and Sony it, Sony God bless them I love them but they they went from from in the initial pitch me going so I don't know how we're going to actually do this well, wait, don't worry about it. we'll figure that out that's we can totally figure something out and to them going there's no way we can do this it's absolutely the most expensive thing that's ever happened and uh, so so it you know it it, it kind of went through a long development process in the initial draft was this sort of um, and it was backing up, we, we knew all along we were going to run into Navy problems because there's no other way to shoot an aircraft carrier except to have the Navy's help because there aren't aircraft carriers that, But you kind of put, put that off as long as you can Oh, t- right? totally, just, so just you can develop long, the, I knew, it was just this is going to be a nightmare because I had people, I can't even say the things I had people doing on this ship, but <laughs> it's, what, it's what sold the, the script So and it's, you know, you got the captains having a sort of an affair with the NCIS person and she's, but he's married and she and, and then, so by the time the Navy got a look at this they were like, are you kidding me? Absolutely no way we're doing this um, So we had to sort of convince, so we had to sort of tailor the script to, to meet the Navy happy and make Fox happy and Sony still happy and Grand Via happy and, and it was really hard keeping all those those people How, how did you work out the practical problems though? Uh, we still haven't. Um, we, <laughs> we're still working on those. I got like I was telling I was telling these guys earlier. I got like thirty. I went to a play on Friday night and turned my phone off. And I got through with the play, and there were thirty six emails in my inbox of just like, "What are we gonna do? Are we gonna shoot this?" So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, and I'm kind of new. Um, we're following. We, we, so I sold it and wrote the first draft, and the first draft was very edgy and Breaking Bad meets Justified, and you know, on a boat with sex and planes and whatever. And, uh, and, they, and you know they liked it, and they and they and, and weirdly, Fox just sort of hemmed and hawed on on what this thing. They, I think we all sort of realized that okay, a, a show set on an aircraft carrier with this pressure cooker tender box kind of environment is, is a great is a great place to be. But every other detail from there on out was okay. It was different, and and I think I went a little Top Gun and. and you know, hey, getting like people chest bumping and playing basketball on the deck, and and you know, and they loved, yeah, this is great. And I got to Kevin Riley finally after uh, 18 months of trying to get this thing made. They kept pushing and pushing and pushing it. Kevin Riley finally read it and said, "I like it, but I'm not so sure about all the chest bumping and the dosho and like it's sex all over the. Sh- it just seems." And we went, "Oh my god, we we'll just completely strip it back to what the Navy wants us to do." And we kind of did. And Kevin was like, "This is good. This is this is good wow. stuff." So we've gone from being sort of from the makers of Justified and Breaking Bad, <laughs> stuff's gonna you know blow up and a lot of blood, and, and but to this like eight o'clock Monday night, you know, <laughs> safe. So and it's and it's what Fox is looking for. They're looking to sort of reinvigorate the eight o'clock hour. And there could be not be a group of people less sort of engineered to do that kind of show. <laughs> but uh, but we're doing it, and uh, we got picked up really late. So they um, so we immediately were, they were like, how quickly can you shoot this thing on the aircraft carrier with the navy? And, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we you know really these talked to them. Yeah, so we contacted the Navy finally and said, "Hey, can we shoot on your boat?" And they were like, well, "No." And, and so they read the script, and finally, we you know we got them on board with it. And um, right as they were calling us the next day to say, "Okay, let's get the patch. We need to get everybody's going to come out there, badges, and come, it's going. We've got it. We got to have a meeting with you tomorrow, and then we're." Full steam ahead, no pun intended. Oh my god, the Navy puns. But anyway, <laughs> projects torpedoed. Look out, all the hands on deck. Um, so we got, we got, we got to that point, and they come in, they sit down across it, and they go, So this thing tomorrow, the sequestration, yeah, we're screwed. There's nothing else we can do. We cannot give you any boats, we cannot give you any help, we can do nothing else for you. The Navy is dead. 
And we went, oh, okay. Uh, we were going to shoot really soon. And so there's no, and, and, they, and they said, no, there's nothing. And, and very quickly it became clear that until they ironed some of the stuff out. Now's the time to make an offer on one of their carriers. I just, I just, right? I, this is, yeah. It's Sony can handle that. Um, so we got pushed. And so now we're looking at shooting in June. But there's also a talent that we're going after that, if we get him, it's like the biggest to get in the world. But if we get him, it's also like the biggest nightmare in the world because now we have to shoot around his schedule, which means we'd have to shoot part of the pilot in April. Maybe if we can get the Navy's help, who are now helping us again, and then we'd shoot the rest of it in June. We're building sets in Santa Clarita, but we also have a ship. We're shooting on a museum ship and then on the aircraft carrier. For the, and it's, so this is sort of the nature of – and Sony's just like, why did we ever buy this? I don't think they really are saying that. Actually, they're definitely saying that. Uh, but uh, we're in that – Throws of that, right? And this is supposedly for this fall? No. Okay. No, oh, no. <laughs> Not with shooting in June. <laughs> Although there are people who are still sort of like, well, we could still maybe. So we're, at this point, we're shooting. We have, we have drafts out there for a full shoot the pilot, which is an, an unholy amount of money to shoot. Um, a 30 minute cut down version of the pilot, which is saves like a million dollars, which I was sort of like, well, what's the point? But okay. They, and and then now, now we've cut it down to like a three-minute trailer that we may shoot. Uh, and afternoon so heading for that table read. That was my version. Is shoot, shoot. Well, we just like the script. Just shoot the script without all the pesky flying around and jetting off of aircraft carriers. And we said, okay, that'll sell because Navy people and Blue uniforms talking is, is hot, especially now since they can't have any fraternization at all anymore. Um, it's it's been sort of so. I mean, it's not as dire as perhaps right. I'm pitching it, but it, 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 there is this sort of like every day. It's you wake up and look at your email and just go, okay, what's it gonna be today? You know, who's gonna who's gonna be like, oh, we can't use that name because there's a spacecraft they're planning for 2019 right. with that name. And like, okay, so that's that's kind of where we're sitting now. Uh, Creatively, <laughs> uh, as you've gone through this whole process, you know, is this this is sort of a loaded question? But is this still a show that you would want that you want to do, or that you would want to watch? Even? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it's a different kind of show. Um, you know, we went in, we went into Sony. I, Sony obviously came to me first, but I went back to Sony knowing that Battlestar Galactica had been done there, and, and that they they were good with doing sort of contained versions of, of, of tough shows to do on sets, and and. I think even as we stripped back some of the sort of some of the stuff we put in there was a little obnoxious to begin with, and in sort of intentionally so to be like in your face, the Navy and and, and was it you was that used as a gauge too to figure out what you what stories you could tell within the parameters that everyone was looking for? I think I think so. for me it was an insecurity because it was my first real pilot through the process, and I wanted to impress everybody, you know. And, and I knew I was going to Mark Johnson and Wilson. I was such a Breaking Bad fan, and I didn't know how nice they are, so I was expecting him to just kick me out or something if I screwed it up and and so I wanted to make sure they knew I came in hard and came in heavy and as, as we've as we've as we've sort of dialed it back I, I don't want to say that we, we haven't stripped drama we've, we've had to find ways to make drama uh, a little less obvious and a little less overt and and I think it, it, it's you know it's what they did in the 40s and 50s and I think there's some, some of the best stuff I've ever seen came out of that so hopefully we're gonna you know it won't be 40s and 50s level <laughs> but it'll be uh, you know 
Yeah, I'm excited. I'm still excited about good. it very much. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and, and good luck. Thanks. <laughs> I hope you get to shoot it <laughs> oh, someday. Someday we'll shoot a, a 30-second version. Of <laughs> <that> will... <laughs> uh, Michael, tell me, uh, have, you, have you had pitching and selling experience? Because if not, I have another question for you. Not in TV. Oh, not in, t- in film? In, in features. Yeah. Oh, let's hear about that. We never talk to feature writers because they are uh, lon- loner weirdos. <laughs> 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 That's true. <laughs> uh, what 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 has your experience in features been? Uh, not great. Uh, I spent years. I, I came out here to write features many years ago, and you know, banged my head against that wall for a long time, and was even making a living at it, uh, it but not not a great living and not a fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, writing a lot of things. Getting little assignments, you know, that I'd be the tenth writer on some thing that had been in development for nine years, <laughs> uh, and I mean, it's cool. They pay you. You'd write. You get to work with some some pretty great people. Um, the first studio job I had, I, I worked with Galan Heard, which was, and and uh, Philip Noyce. Cool. Yeah, uh, but those things were not getting made, mm-hmm. um, I, and I didn't know how to. Uh, you know, it was clear to me by that point they had gone to the big guns, they'd gone to the B-level guy. You know, now they're down to me. They're paying me scale, and, and uh, you know, there's so much money against the project by that time. Mm-hmm. If I'm not writing them in, you know, the Oscar-winning draft, it's, you know, they just weren't getting made. I, I finally had. I, I found that I had a lot more luck, at least with my own spec material, just mm-hmm. optioning things. You know, so they weren't getting made either, but. There was there was more creative satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about going to like doing this work for hire when you are the tenth writer on a thing. You know what? Besides the expectations that they have because of the investment that they've made, you know what is the relationship like with the producers or the studio or whoever is doing it? Like, what kind? What's the creative relationship like? Well, I think it depends on the people mm-hmm. you're dealing with. Um, yeah, I wrote one uh, project for Morgan Freeman that was actually not at a uh, not at a studio. It was something he was developing himself. So and to star in, mm-hmm. so you know he's the boss. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna, you, you, your job is just deliver the movie that he wants. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not coming to me for my. Um, you know, he's already got a vision right. that he wants. And can that be creatively fulfilling for you? Uh, that one was, was mm-hmm. it was great. Again, thing with Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> Hugely rewarding. <laughs> Underrated as a creative force. <laughs> I bet that those meetings are a lot more interesting. Oh my god! Uh, but when you go in, you know, to work with a personality like that, mm-hmm. uh, especially an actor who's going to star in this thing, right? Um, what is your job? Is he how much of a story does he have? What do those meetings look like? Uh, my, my first job was to not crap my pants, <laughs> um, especially that one. But Morgan Freeman was a big one. That was uh, that was really cool and, and intimidating. Um, it's the president, but, you know, it's, I, it's <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but it, I think in the end, it's not really any different than meeting with anybody who's got the power. To get a film made, it's mm-hmm. it. Uh, you just need to instill confidence in them that you're the guy for the job. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really, you know. In the end, it doesn't matter if it's a big movie star or just some studio guy who's you know who holds the purse strings. Mm-hmm. 
And, and what were you, where were you coming from that you were uh, finding these, that people were coming to you for these jobs or that you were up for these jobs? Uh, I had, again, it, it all goes back, I think, uh, and I think this is true of most of my friends in the business, that it goes back to your original material. I had written a, uh, this World War I uh, horror film, a horror film set in the trenches uh, called Earthworks that, God, I don't even know how long ago it's been now. Um, it, it had been optioned a few times. It, that was like my calling card script. That was the one that, uh, I don't want to say it was universally loved, but it got by far the best response of anything I had written. A uh, number of people have tried to make it. We're trying to make it right now, um, working with a, a, a British producer on it right now. Uh, but that, was, that just became the thing that for years after I wrote it, people would, we could still send it out, or people remembered it from back then, That's great. and it would, it would get me in these meetings, yeah. Um, go ahead. <laughs> uh, okay, so you had this calling card, and then were, were you kind of going up for like-minded uh, projects? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, all the World War I horror films. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that's sort of what happens, right, is you have this well, thing it, people know. But it's funny, because it, when you're going up with those jobs, there is very much a, uh, this expectation that you need to show them something very similar to the job they're, mm-hmm. they're looking to fill. Yeah. Like, to a ridiculous degree. Really? And it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's a World War One film, but it doesn't have horror, and it's so, you know, it, uh, it's frustrating. It's it, and and silly, I think. I mean, it, really, if you have read two or three things of mine that you like, take a flyer. You know, it, 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 uh, you see that I can do this, so right. I can probably. Right. Plus, do a that. lot of times you're going up for something very specific, and it's like, well, no, of course I haven't written that. It's it's based on a superhero property. Why would I have written that? Before, right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and were you being were you pitching on uh, properties and and stuff like that? Um, or on those? Existing, you know, like I found at stuff. least at the level where I was working that it was really hard to get taken seriously for anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I could. I, I certainly went in on on a number of, you know, old sci-fi books that had, but not nothing that was, you know, what you would consider kind of A-level mm-hmm. material. You know, I wasn't getting called in on all those big jobs. And as the, in the time that I've been in LA doing this, the business has become much more focused on those properties, sure. uh, and uh, I think that contributed, among other things, to me my increasing frustration at at going, you know, trying to. Uh, get hired to write things. Sure. So tell me about transitioning to television. It, uh, thank God, fell into my lap. Really? Was, yeah, it was funny because as I, again, you know, I got to LA, I, I you know, was working, to, I always wanted to work in features, but at the same time, TV was becoming a much more interesting place mm-hmm. than it was when I came out of film school. And uh, but I had, I, I, I felt like I didn't, I didn't know anybody in that world. Uh, I didn't know how to try to get my foot in that door, and and I just as the years went on, I just I, I just never had the guts to make a, a committed effort to do it. I just kept toiling away in features, and uh, and then through, I had written a short story for Derek Hass's uh, website, Popcorn Fiction, and a friend of his, Matt Olmsted, was putting together Breakout Kings at the time. Fox had eventually went to uh, A and E. 
uh, and uh, and they, he he and his partner Nick Santor were looking for writers. He asked Derek if he knew anybody. Derek had liked my short story, so, and this was all happening without me knowing right. about it. I get a, I didn't even have a TV agent. I was at ICM with with uh, just a feature agent, yeah. and uh, you know, and they, presumably you didn't have any TV samples or anything. No, it was just, not not at all. Like not no specs. I you know I think I had written like a Seinfeld spec to just give you an idea of how long ago. <laughs> was, like, not an iron science. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's applicable this year yeah. too. <laughs> Uh, so, and so he actually, Matt Olmstead actually read a, you know, I think it was like a 10-page short story oh. that I had written. Uh, and, and so called my agent based on that. I went and met with him, gave him some other feature stuff that I had written, one of which happened to be very much in the, in the, in the, in the you know, strike zone of the tone of Breakout Kings. And, uh, and so I got my first staffing job mm-hmm. without having to even... Go out on staffing. I never went on a staffing meeting. No, I know it was, it was, and it has turned out to be. And and at first I was kind of scared. I didn't know. The biggest thing for me was now after years of sitting in my own little home office by myself, working. Going back to what you're saying about weirdo feature writers. Like now I'm going to have to get up and put pants on and go to a a room full of other writers. Start writing before noon and talk to them. Yeah. Be social and and not rub them the wrong way and you know and and be you know collaborative. Share the uh, the fun of of writing with. And I honestly didn't know how I was. I, I didn't think I could do it. And how did it go? It was uh, it was life changing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. He was fired. It was right. <laughs> immediately. That's life changing. <laughs> he fired. Um, no, yes, it, it really t- was. It became t- the the first job I'd ever had where I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and go to work. That's fantastic. Uh, and why was it? Was it the social aspect of it? Was the narrative? I think know, storytelling I, I got really lucky. Uh, Matt Olmstead runs a very tight ship. He doesn't keep people you know we work from 10 to 6 uh we had like one week that first season where we had to stay i think till nine uh you know he has kids he loves going home to his kids and that and and he picks people who are uh you know good chemistry not no you know no a-holes in the room um, except me uh uh, so it was, yeah, it was just a great mix. of It was more social. It felt like hanging out with friends mm-hmm. more than working. And tell me about the work of it, though. I mean, that must have been a huge learning curve for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what were the things that you picked up in those first, you know, couple months? Uh, how to play well with others. Sure. Uh, wear <laughs> Which pants. I think, you know, it, it comes up here, and I think it's not given the weight that it should. That, you know, no, I, getting along I want to give Cheryl way. credit for not for preventing me from getting fired uh, <laughs> because early on in that first season of Breakout Kings I I think I got a little aggressive and uh and I noticed people um rolling their eyes you know kind of almost like that you know that that uh that sort of tension you feel when people are passing notes and it was like that kind of thing like there's a conversation silently going on around me aggressive in what way Oh, uh, uh, not 
want to, like if I thought something was a bad idea, I would say, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Here's why. And right. And you're the stop. lowest guy there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Cheryl did the same for me. Too. <laughs> well, so I, I, I think that if I emailed you or called you, I'm like, I described what was going on. I'm like, am I doing something? Or she's like, stop. Just stop what you're doing. Let the bad ideas, you know, they'll find their own way out. I don't have to be the, the, the arbiter of what's good. It's not my show. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody at the top doesn't mind an idea, then who am I to say? Yeah, it's it's one of those difficult things, though, because feature writers who've been alone in a room for so long, solving problems alone on their own strength of story, get, like Michael, very good on story, which is what you are. Because sure. I've read a ton of your stuff. And then you go into a room of people, not everyone's going to have that much experience of, of doing that hard work. Yeah. And you see a lot of people who are a lot sloppier on story and a lot, it's hard to explain, but you will have a higher, slightly higher standard mm-hmm. and it's easy to get impatient. Well, it, yeah, I would see, or at least in my mind, see where this idea is going to end up and, and that why it's a dead end. And I would try to just cut it off and say, Here, here's why that's not going to work. Let's move on and talk about something that right. might work. But there's, there, it comes I from mean, a good place, though, which is from so a good intention. But it's a hard thing to... of, now, let's not waste time here, right. but I could be wrong. Right. And more importantly, I think what Cheryl taught me is that it's not worth making enemies yeah. by acting that way. You want to foster that, you know, a good creative vibe in the room and let let those ideas, um, you let people feel like it's a safe place to to offer something up. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then again, just from a nuts and bolts uh, perspective, in what what was the first script uh, that you were assigned? Do you remember what number in the season? It, or around things it. got a little screwy because we had it was I think the f- uh, what we would call 104 episode four, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it it might have gotten moved back because we had two two idea two story ideas kicked back by the network kind of consecutively one of which was mine it was going to be a um, it kind of broke the mold of the formula which and it was a new show it was only the fourth episode so it was going to be you know. The, I, I, it wasn't a bad idea for, on the network's part to say it's too soon to sure. do something like that. And we ended up repurposing that same story for the second season. Uh, so then, but I, I think maybe episode six was my okay. then became my first one. That so you had me. kind of seen the process uh, yeah. with other writers, and what was the story? Were stories broken in the room? How did it very much there? so? Yeah. And then the writers would go off and write their draft. Yeah, I was kind of, and still actually kind of remain surprised by how little time you actually spend alone doing the writing. Yeah, and the writing is like the least of it, right? Yeah. Like you have your outline. and You do so much more discussion about it, and then outlines, you know, the room would give notes on the outlines, notes on the drafts, all of that. And it's, I think, you know, because we were told early on, if when you're off writing a script, you can stay home. You don't need to come in the office. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, back home in my underwear again. <laughs> but that ended up being like maybe four days yeah. you know, the whole season. It's not the vacation you think it's going to be. Right. Yeah. And, and speed, it, it was, that was the other huge thing that I had to 
kind of wrap my head around. Sure. In the feature world, you have a lot more time. It doesn't feel like it. You feel rushed in features. It's nothing compared to TV. It's, you know, you're writing essentially half of a feature script sometimes in a couple days. Did you work from a stronger or a more thorough outline on the TV show than you had on your own feature stuff? No, because I outline strenuously on my feature stuff. I'll write a 30-page outline sometimes. Uh, and and we did in TV, at least on Breakout Cakes, we wanted to be handing in as brief an outline as possible to the network because they're hard documents to to read and give notes on. So you give them less information. You just give them the here's the structure and here, you know here's what kind here's of these the feeling of this thing. Right. Less so, to complain about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You were notes. Nick and Cheryl, let's talk about um, talk to me about running the numbers room. Well, it's very, very, very short discussion. We didn't have one. Yeah, really. That was um, the first season. We had well, we actually had a room for the part of the first season because we we had no experience. This was our first. We had written pilots, but none of none of them had gone into production. So this was our first TV experience, and we needed a showrunner. Mm -hmm. The first one we brought on just wasn't a good mesh with the our show and with CBS. so he had to move on. And the next one we brought in at about episode seven of the first season was Barry Shindell, who was a big Law & Order showrunner. And I don't know if you guys know, Law & Order had no room. We had interviewed people that had worked on Law & Order the same season, writers you know, for the show, who had never met each other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Barry, want, Barry ran that kind of room, not, which is not a room. You just would you'd go and pitch to the showrunner, and then he'd send you to outline with a few ideas. You'd come back with the outline, and then he would give you notes on it, and then you'd go write a draft. It was just like that. So, and not much more than that. Yeah. And then Eventually, the st- we would have meetings, you know, at the beginning of the season, and then maybe a couple times through the season just to get it talk about on. Talk about what arcs there were. Yeah, yeah, that was going to be my question. I mean, Law & Order is one thing when they're standalone well, episodes. Well, this is the problem. I mean, it was fine, but what we felt, because... The show got more arcs as we went along, and yet we didn't really coordinate. Yeah. Characters were inconsistent. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, a storyline would arise and then vanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, things didn't really pay off. You saw characters kind of... You, poor Peter McNichol kind of used to feel he was all over the map. Like, one week I'm crazy, the next week I'm this. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so that was a little frustrating. I think we could have used a little more room work. Yeah, interesting. But, you know, you see some of these shows where they're in the room from 10 a.m. till 10 at night... And yet the show is kind of all over the map <laughs> anyway. So it all depends how people run them and how well it's done. So what was, what was your role as the creators of the show in the scheme of things? Really trying to protect what we thought was the core of the show. And what was that for you? For us it was rationality, math, and humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in humor, a very big part of that. And those three th- in the family kind of thing, that dynamic, and mm-hmm. those are the things that the first season the network wanted to get rid of. Yeah. And so... What show did they buy? <laughs> uh, Les Moonves thought, he, he answered that question for us. He bought an FBI show yeah. about an FBI guy. And as far as he was concerned, if we had gotten rid of the math and the David Crumwell's character, that would have been his show. <laughs> and they would have reduced it to a, a you know where David Crumwell's would have come in oh, like, they, it, twice, twice an act with here's your answer and yeah, that would have been interesting. And it was very much that, and that's what they thought they wanted to do until they got the show on the air and started testing it, and then the family stuff and David's character tested off 
through the roof, and that's what was working. And it was funny because we were kind of all in the flux of that the first season, and then when the first showrunner had to, it was interesting. I should say the first showrunner is one of the most talented people in this business, and he He's couldn't a, make it work. It's Alex Gonza. Yeah, yeah, he was brilliant. And if you ever read, if you ever want to read some really great material, read Alex Gonza's original pilots. It's yeah. amazing stuff. Um, he just couldn't work with CBS. Which, I mean, you often hear that, especially when it's a situation where the creators of the show are not the showrunners, and then they will have to bring someone in. Like, there's a lot of right. matching that has to happen. But it's, when Barry, it's the strangest of blind dates. Barry came in thinking, they're asking me to get the math out of the show, make it a strict procedural, and he's, I remember him saying to me, it's just going to be about bank robberies and kidnappings and, yeah. and we're going to, you know, and we're going to make the, and we, I remember he said, we're going to make Rob Morrow drop a pair. And I was like, good, good luck. Because <laughs> um, Rob didn't want to play that guy. Sure. Rob had no interest in that. Well, it's not the show. Either. And then the show got to the air and they started testing, got audience reaction and all of a sudden Barry's one day going, you know all that stuff I said? Nope. Now they want to keep it all. Now they want the math. Now, and he was going to get rid of the Peter McNichol character. It was, it was an interesting uh, process because, I mean, to their credit, I mean, Nina Tassler, when we pitched it to her and she bought it, she was very much interested in that it was going to be more character to the show than mm-hmm. some of their other shows. Yeah, but Nina always says that in development and when putting pilots on the air. <laughs> I know. And then it becomes the, you know, you put it into the grind of less movies. Well, that's what I was going to say. When we shot the pilot, then they came back to us and said, literally, do not show us anything after you catch the bad guy because everyone's going to turn to another channel at that point. There's no more story to tell. And we said, well, we think there, there we sh- is. We think we should go home with the family at the yeah. end. And they said, no, there's, no one wants to see that. And so when we, we decided in our next episode we were just going to write that episode and have a scene with the family after the crime has been solved. <laughs> and it aired and it tested and it went yeah. through the roof and they said, do that every time now. Yeah, then it became, <laughs> even if the, the particular episode that didn't fit, they wanted it anyway. Yeah. He doesn't have a family. <laughs> right. Send him home with a family. In fact, give him a second family. Right. <laughs> Secret family. <laughs> and slowly, at first they wanted no, they, they re, this was back in 2004 when we first got the order and it aired first in January 2005. CBS did not think humor fit into its procedurals. Right. This yeah, is before remember. NCIS was funny, it's murder, if you remember there was business. a time. Is NCIS yeah. funny? Okay, well, you know, it is na- it's joking. I, no, no, it, it's no. Apparently it's joking. I don't know. Well, I don't it's like, watch it's, it. It's like buddy copy, right? It's, I'm not, I'm not 65 yet. I don't know. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you really don't want to go back to CBS, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. They were very good to us and very supportive. Yeah. And all the snipe, I say, what when we put that pilot, when we First aired numbers, they launched it off at AFC Championship game. So we had, yeah, 45 million viewers and the numbers. <laughs> and they, they launched it great. Wow. So yeah. they, they were great. And they gave us a big shot with that. So mm-hmm. they, they, they're they great. But um, but tell me about working humor into the show. Because it wasn't really no, a thing that no. CBS uh, was doing over at all. Ta- over, I mean, it still isn't. Even yeah. though we hired all these great comic actors. Mm-hmm. Like but Hurst, slowly, you know, over time... As we as they kind of started concentrating on their other shows and and we were working and they would leave us alone, we wrote more and more comedy until the hunt. This is so maddening to think about. We finally wrote the ep- an episode that we really just like just threw it out there. A couple of them actually. Yeah, but I know what the one you're talking when, about. The com- it's appropriate to talk about here. The comic book one was yeah. one, but the the other one was. Yeah, it was a comic book episode. We just put full humor, just went for it, mm-hmm. and they loved it. Okay. And we're like, yeah. really? And then, you know, and then the 100th episode, we just decided to go full comedy again, and we hired Josh Gad to be, mm-hmm. like, this com- funny guy. 
and it was it was and we kept doing it and the shows well, but that one that was the first episode and we sent them yeah. the producer's cut they call back and we love it we have no notes the first yeah. time the, and it was like finally after 100 episodes we got <laughs> it was so and from then on it was you know oh bring us comedy but it's like hmm. that's interesting yeah um I have more questions about it, but I want to, while we're on the topic of uh, comedy, uh, take us inside Justified for a minute, Taylor. And is the humor of the show something that you guys think about, something you talk about in the room? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for one thing, there's sort of a core group of writers that have been there sort of, most of them were there the first season, then I came in season two, and, and we have sort of a shorthand, which is is deeply inappropriate and, and horrible. We're an explicit podcast. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, uh, it gets pretty dark in there. There's the, One of the things we do is in the notes, we have the quote of the day. And <clears throat> every morning we start out with whatever the quote of the day from the day before was. And usually it's probably the filthiest thing. Uh, like, I, like I, I literally can't even repeat it in, a, in, a, in, in the kind of broadcast. But it, that's, that's, that's sort of where... You know, once we we approach the show, is uh, you know the mantra. It, the, it's like you guys had a had a really interesting take on, on what numbers is about in a three word sort of sentence, which I've completely forgotten now. But it was humor was the third right. thing for us. It's you know it's um, it's fucked up and funny. That's what that's what our mantra is. It's 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 what what can what is just damaging to watch in some ways, and yet how can we pull out of it in something funny? You know, and and that's sort of what we try and do. In every scene, and that's something that Tim, that Graham sort of starts as, you know, pushes us on from one end, and then once it's sort of we get pushed from Graham on one end and then pulled from Tim into performance. And, and Tim and Walton have very significant ideas about their characters and what kinds of things should be happening to their characters and how they would react in these, in these situations. And most of the time we get it somewhere around the right area, and then we work together to, to, uh, to really hone that. It's interesting, it, it, it's different than. The cold case that I worked on and other CB and the other CBS kind of stuff, and I think most any other show in the world, I've never been on a show where we do more writing, just pure writing, and we do very little outlining. We do very little. We do the room, but the room is always sort of uh, channeling what the, the three or four episode arc, sort of where we are, where Raylan sits in the middle of this, and versus when are we going to see Boyd? When can we get Boyd and Raylan together without it seeming like oh here we go the inevitable. <laughs> And there's there's a lot of that kind of discussion, and it's a lot of it's math, and a lot of just kind of figuring out the pieces, and 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 it's a it's a it's a really strange dynamic because Graham Graham Yost, our showrunner, who comes out of Speed and and Band of Brothers, and and he he loves the the. The, the, the machinations of plot and putting the story together, Tim could care less. I just could not begin to care less about it. It's all about character for Tim. So there's this, this sort of polite war that goes on and that you're always, as a writer, stuck in the middle of because but you're it, on set with it, Tim and he's right. going, well, what do you just seen for? And I said, well, because if they won't, the audience won't know that you're going to put the thing in the car. When, and he's like, well, who cares if the audience knows? It's cooler if I just do this. And, and he's kind of right. And, and you're in the, it's 7 in the morning and it's in the makeup mirror and it's him. And it's you, and you're just like, uh, you're clearly right because you're in a hat and you're handsome. But he's no, he's he's, he's usually right, and 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 so, so then you call Tim, Graham, and he's like, we're gonna pull the thing out where they put the body in the car, and they're like, how's he gonna know? And it, you just do this all day, every day. 
And, but uh, it seems like it's one of the, these shows, and we've, there have been a number of shows like this and writers we've talked to where that tension is necessary yeah. to making a really great product. I think it is, and I think when we start to leech that tension out, whenever we try and make a solution for that tension, we start to the episodes start to suck. So we, uh, so now we just encourage it. We just we <laughs> tell each other stories. We just make stuff up. And Tim said you were a jerk. <laughs> Run away. Um, that's that's so important though. When you have an actor like that, the writers and the producers have to just all talk and have have an agreement and be yeah. solid together mm, yes, or else because yeah. the guy is that's what it's he's trying so to do he's trying true. to wedge in and get in and once they get a wedge in mm-hmm. you know all hell breaks loose <laughs> oh, it's it it's really wedging. funny you say that because I mean that's that's one of the and this is I want to be careful about the way I talk about Tim and not just because I'm <laughs> dozens of people however many people I don't know what it is he or here get you but fired. not because he's a powerful <laughs> guy runs my show but um but because he's a good guy and because his instincts are so often right. And, and I think in season two, I remember my first episode, um, I was ready. I was just, you know, Tim's not going to change my words. And I got in there and, you know, no, it's, we're going to. And, and, of course, he's, he's so relentless and so just charming about it. He's like, Could it just be? Are we, are we missing opportunity? And, you're, and, and you start questioning yourself. And by the end, he, I, like, I didn't know what I was doing anymore. I felt like by the end of the first episode. And then I saw the cut and I realized... Oh man, he does. He knows what he knows how to be cool uh, in that skin in a way that I need to learn to write that link, you know, to get there. And and, and it helped me get better at writing him. And we started having a really great relationship that way. But it is a choice that, like you say, it's a choice that you either you make it early or you're gonna cold case. It was you know. You write the words, you get on set. Those are, these are the words. We have to do it this way. This is, this is what we're doing. The actors all went on, and. Um, and that was the choice that was made, and I think it made it whatever cold case was, it made it what it was. And justified is, you know, by episode one, two, three, we're sort of like, yeah, we know what we're doing. We got we got a sense of where the by episode eleven or twelve, and I always wind up writing twelve. It's just my my good luck. We have no idea what's going on. Anyway. We don't know how it's ending. We don't know ten is who's going to die and who we're going to keep, and and so twelve is it's like you're getting pushed. Sorry, I don't, if I'm going on too long, just... No, no, I, I, I really but, want to uh, hear this. Because <laughs> I'm all over the place, I know, but so is Justified. Um, <laughs> last season, season 12, I wrote... I wrote. I, I, got, I was in the middle of writing episode 9, and, and, and Graham called me and said, you're doing 12. And I said, all right, I'm doing... Okay. What am I writing nine about? And 12? Yeah, 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 it's, it's a little close. Yeah. And... Um, he said, he's like, here's what the story's about. Blah, blah, blah. And I, and I went, okay, cool. And then I, and then I had... This really story really is all over the place. Then I had a tooth like explode in my head, and like like it was a root canal that failed. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's blood coming out of my ear, and yes, there is. And uh, no, it was it was a root canal that failed, and it was in the middle of set, and it was just like the most excruciating pain I've ever been. And I had to go get a a thing called an apicoectomy, which I highly recommend. Uh, and they did that, and then they put me on a bunch of Vicodin, and then I went home and wrote the script for 12. And so I was just, and I wrote it in a weekend, and it was just, and, it, and, and so, and it turned out okay. And so we turned it into Tim, and Tim looked at it, and he goes, I'm sorry, I was supposed to be writing 11 off of 9, not 12. He goes, this is great, but it's so cool that I think we don't want to do anything after this before we do 13. We should just make this 12, and then we'll just shoot. So now we're shooting 12 without having an 11. So written by me, high on Vicodin. So it's like, it's just, 
makes no sense. And people are just thinking, when, like, so we, where's Win Duffy? Like, I don't know. What was he doing in 11? Well, we haven't written it yet. So we're just going to, I guess we're dictating. So now Ben Cavell, one of the other writers, having to write 11 while I'm writing 12 on the set for Tim. And it, it's, this, by, is Tim actually the showrunner, or is there someone else who has that title? No, this is Graham. Graham runs the show, but Graham has a. <laughs> You know, it, it's somehow it's like for one thing, Graham's sort of like there's there's me, Ben Cavell, and Dave Andron, who he's sort of just like just go do it. I, I don't know what to do. You you guys know what you're doing, and I'll sign off on it at the end of the day. And we usually do. We usually can. We usually it sounds every bit as chaotic as it is, and it is every bit as chaotic as it sounds. But uh, it's kind of works. You know, it's just and and at the end of the day, we get these performances that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise, I think. And um, Is this a show, I mean, we've heard this this kind of thing more often in comedies, but is this a show that's found in the editing? Yeah, I think it's more, uh, yes, I think to some degree it is, I, but I also think in the large part it's, it's found in the writing on the set, which is horrible. But yeah. it, 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 it's <laughs> like, if you're lucky, it works. And, and if you're not, it, man, it really doesn't work. And we've had to go back and... Uh, and uh, recap. Yeah, you know, we. <laughs> I can't, I can't do you guys have have you have to do reshoots? Oh yeah. yeah, yes. We definitely wind up having to do reshoots, and we've had trouble staying on pattern. You know, season two. Season two is a. Uh, What's your lead time, time uh, from when episode's shot to when it airs? I guess about three or four weeks by the time it's it's all done. Wait, what? What were you going to say about season two? <laughs> season two. Season two. We <laughs> the first as so they get renewed and we come back to the day one of breaking season two and he's got this idea of coming back. There's a big shootout at the end of season one, the very end, and and we come off a railing and so we're gonna, we're going to pick up right after that shootout and then we're going to follow him and he's and Graham's Graham's got this you know high concept sort of thing where he's we're going to go on a plane. There's going to be a shootout on a Learjet and it's going to be raining on the tarmac and then so we spent like three hundred thousand dollars like before we even shot a frame. We cut it was one of being seventy minutes. We cut the whole thing out. So we want to we were completely under like behind the ball the eight ball financially like right out of the gate on season two. So everything we did from there we were just scrambling to catch up. So we swore to God we weren't going to do that in season three. And then somehow season three, (laughs) (laughs) there was a coal train that they were, there was some kind of thing. Are you doing eight day shoots? Seven. So we're on like day 11, (laughs) you know, shooting. Uh, But I mean, it worked. I mean, there was a thing, and I don't know how well people know the show. I I, I did dig into that sort of, I did season episode. Very well. Go deep. Good. Yeah. So I I did a thing episode five last season where we meet this girl, Loretta, who's 14 years old. I'm sorry. Season two, this girl, Loretta, who's 14 and she's, her father's been killed by Max Ben at the beginning. All right. So she's, so Raylan kind of meets her, and at the end of 205, he says to her, if you ever get in trouble, here's a phone, call me. And we pay that off in episode 9. But we wrote episode 9, we kind of shot it and got to the end of it, and we just didn't really realize who Loretta was anymore. We kind of lost track of who she was over the course of it. So we went back, and Graham had me write a scene where Coover, who is the older moron brother of the Menace, comes in, and it gets kind of mad at her because she's running the store. And... And I wrote this little scene and put it in there, and we shot it and put and then put it back in 205, based on what we'd done in 209. And all of a sudden, contextually, everything made sense, mm-hmm. and it was and it just completely tied together like we planned it all along. <laughs> and, uh, and but and it always seems like that. I mean, it, it never feels like a show where the wheels are going to come off. It feels like there's a plan, and it's alarming to hear that there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it's very uh, Try writing it. Get, no kidding. It does sound like, though, um, what I've heard about the Deadwood situation, which is like they had a town to play in, right? And they had these characters. And so you have that strong foundation, so you can kind of find the stories from there. You're, you're a little bit playing with Lego figures. Tim pulls, uh, Tim, working with Tim, story-wise, he really pulls from the sort of Milch school of mm-hmm. insanity. No, the Milch <laughs> school of just... I mean, that's the thing about, you know, the stories we'll talk about with town with Milch is that Milch would be like, wake up one morning and be like, I think it should be about, a you know, the yeah. pigs should eat somebody they're not supposed to today. And, and everybody goes, okay, that's what we're doing. And Milch you know, type it, and then they'd learn it. And and it's fun because it's fun Tim and Walt and all those guys, they're like, they're ready. We just do this right until... Tim will, Tim will literally be pitching while they're going, okay, we're rolling, rolling, action, action, Tim. And like, we could still be... Okay, hold on. <laughs> Where'd you put it? And then right right back into when they all cut. And uh, whereas the guest actors come in and they're like, well, I learned all these words, and none of them are here anymore. And am I still in the scene? And, <laughs> but, the, I mean, you guys also get these amazing guest actors like Jim Beaver and you know guys like that who can, who can roll with that. Uh, yeah, who have the training. The, the ones who, the ones that you see yeah. again, are the ones that that woke up that morning and said, "All right, yeah, tell me what to say and tell me where to go, and I'll yeah. bring something to it." That's and interesting. We lost. Um, I talk a little smack about Max Perlick, who I actually really <laughs> like. I think he was great. We brought him in as a role to be a bad guy last season because we thought it would be sort of casting against type, and he brought in. We brought him in, and he'd flown in, and he was jet-lagged, he was all messed up, and we shot all this stuff with him, and it was just, it just didn't work. It just, he didn't, he was, we were like, oh my God, what have we done? We're in real trouble now. And he would kind of talk him through it, and he was just like, I don't understand what we're doing. And so we got to the end of it, and we wound up having to go back and reshoot all this stuff where, where Neil McDonough talks about this guy like... He's the stupidest, like, you know, person that inherited the thing and should never, like, and I got passed over. And all of a sudden, it just, it, like, everything he had done totally worked. And we had, like, this animus between, you know, these these two characters that, that because it was such a mess that we were, you know, able to make something. That's unbelievable. I'm in so I'm, much trouble next You're season. shattering my brains. <laughs> um... Uh, Michael, let's uh, talk for a second about um, Chicago Fire. Chicago Fire. Um, yeah. This is a, a uh, uh, Dick Wolf show, right? It is a Dick Wolf show. Was it run yeah. like Law and Order? Was there no room? I no, there is a room. Okay. Uh, and I don't really know much about how Law and Order well, was run. Just only that there was no room. Right. Yeah. Um, but that type of show, I think, lends itself more to mm-hmm. not having a room. Uh, Chicago Fire was it was uh, created by uh, Derek Hass and Michael Brand, who are feature guys. They also had never worked in TV. They're a bit higher level than me, so you know they were brought in by Dick Wolf to create this uh, this show about Chicago firefighters. And uh, they, you know, it was they. I don't think were interested in doing the typical kind of procedural, the the you know a fire of the week. Kind of show, and so you know, they, it's a really big fire. They, their whole thing—it's just a small fire this week. Uh, their whole thing was—it's—it's—it's it's not the show isn't about the calls, although there are calls, and it's really an action-driven show in that regard. But it's—it's it's about the the firefighters and paramedics and presenting them as a treating them as a family. Who you know, they there's a firehouse. They all live together basically in this house. And uh, so it just became a drama about these characters. And, you know, the bells would go off and they would go out and something would happen that ideally, you know, would affect what's going on between them. 
Yeah, so um, definitely a room, definitely. A, uh, and it's been a really interesting process, a different process from Breakout Kings. Yeah, how so? Um, I think there's there's just been a lot of, uh, we have three, Derek and Michael created the show, Matt Olmstead runs it, He one of the co-creators of, of Breakout Kings, so he brought me over. And it was fun because Derek was the guy who introduced me to Matt in the first place. So everything kind of came full circle. But the three of those guys, Derek, Matt, and Michael, are immensely talented guys who I think could probably fire the rest of us and still only have to work a few extra hours a week to pull off the show. They, Derek and Michael have written, like, I can't even remember, maybe four or five episodes so far of the season. Uh, and Matt's yeah, but you had 24 episodes, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was a 13-episode order. They gave us a back nine, then they gave us a 23rd, and then they gave us a 24th. And, uh, but those guys, and now they're, they're writing some, the three of them are writing episodes together. Um, so What did they leave for the rest of you? <laughs> well, there's still, you know, there's still a few other episodes we have to take care of. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, now it's like those guys will go out, and uh, Derek's a big cigar smoker. Every afternoon they'll go out to a, a bench on the lot and smoke cigars for like an hour, and they'll break a whole story. You know, it's, so there is still a room, and we do, you know, work on things together. But then there's also a lot of stuff that just kind of, uh, you know, handed down to us, like, oh, here, here's what's going to happen in this episode, you know. To the individual writers or to the group? Or, or to all of us, okay. and we'll kind of, you know, then we'll take right. it from there uh, as a room. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, tell me about the episode that you worked on this year, or episodes. How many uh, have you written this year? Uh, I've had two aired. I'm writing, one, one's filming now, and I'm, uh, I'll be co writing the finale. Sure. Yeah, uh, and how so? How is the process different for you uh, from Breakout Kings? Uh, the know, what's, the, what's broken in the room? What's handed down to you from the bosses? Well, uh, the, so the the fun thing, and I don't know if this is typical of TV or just typical of since I've only ever worked with Matt Olmstead, that it uh, things are in a constant state of flux right up until the script goes into prep. I mean, it, it, it's great. It's scary, but it's great. He was not afraid. He'll look at something. It, we'll, you know, we'll break something in the room. The writer will do an outline, do different drafts of the outline, do a couple drafts of the script, and all of a sudden, half of it gets thrown out because <laughs> he sees a better way or a more interesting story to be mm-hmm. found in there. And uh, you just have to be able to keep up with that. You've got to be prepared. You know that you know your episode's going into prep in two days, and you've got to rewrite half of it. Wow, you know, and you just I uh, when I started working in TV, I decided that my answer to any question would be yes, and then I would figure out how I'm actually going to make that work. It's <laughs> you know, not a bad way to go in. I'd say, you know, sense. when when do we need the script? And they would say Friday, and I would say you got it. Or they, you know, they would say, can can it be? Can you get it by Friday? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then I would go back to my room and go, oh my god. <laughs> For two days yeah. and like until <laughs> and 30 minutes, right? This man. Yeah, but that's how you end that's up writing three scripts your second year. And how many did you write your first year in Breakout Kings? Three. Yeah. I mean, these are I'm, I'm, a lot of them, you know, I'd be sharing credit with somebody, yeah, but, but those are three that's credit. That's that attitude and, those were, and that ability. Absolutely. Those were, you know, 13 episodes season one and 10 episodes season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Chicago Fire has been interesting because it's, it's my first network show, which is a very different 
experience. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to talk about that, and I want to talk about it with you guys too. But tell me, tell me about the difference uh, uh, as you've experienced it. It's well, it's you know, it's a major network. The 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 budget's a lot higher. The, so the expectations are higher. Uh, the staff was a little bigger uh, with some more higher level people. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a number of people who had much more experience than me. So I didn't end up getting my first episode until episode ten. Um, you know, but we've got 24 now, so it's, it's that's fine. Yeah, uh, it's interesting uh, though that you they may have had a lot more experience, but you also came in having worked with the showrunner and knowing the creators before. Yeah, uh, that, did that make it easier for you? I I think it did, and I, um, but I tried to do my best to clue people in as to like it's, Olmstead is not an expressive guy. <laughs> He's uh, he's very intractable and and hard to read and and it, you know I would try to be the guy who, you know after Matt would leave the room I'd say okay what he meant was or when he looked at you that way that's because yeah that's funny uh, and I've, it's funny I've I've heard that role which isn't a role you necessarily think of being taken by a number of people on different shows where they have that relationship with the showrunner and being that kind of translator it's a it's a valuable thing to be able to do yeah. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, so, with these higher expectations from a network, you know, are you getting more notes on outline, on story, on yeah, script? I mean, compared to Breakout Kings, from? there were many more layers. You know, we're, first of all, we're working on, under the umbrella of Dick Wolf, of Wolf Films, which is essentially a studio sure. in its own right. Even though we then have a studio and a network, uh, so there's a lot of layers, and yeah. and, um, and you get notes from all of them. Yeah, I mean, we, by the time they're filtered down to us, you don't really know. It doesn't. It. Uh, it's not like we have to talk to all these different people. It gets, you know, delivered. It, it's consolidated when it comes to the show. Okay. Yeah. Um, talk to us about your relationship with the network on numbers. With CBS, um, <laughs> with the network, with the studio, Great. really with everyone, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, we're always curious about the kinds of notes that are given, and we talked a little bit about that. But uh, once you guys were kind of in your groove, well, yeah. CBS is especially back then, uh, especially in procedure. You worked at Cold Case, you know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S- specific, clear. Yes. Yeah. Everything clarity. super clarity. Yeah. Just clear, clear, clear. Where yeah. are we now? Where? Yeah, what are we going to do next? Why are we going to do that? Why are we seeing this person? What is that? Yeah. You know, it just down to recapping that yeah. information, yeah. summary yeah. and review, summary and review, and then the you'd hear again and again, "Tee it up for us, so we yes. know." Yeah. Tee it, yes, tee it up for us. Spell it. Could you step? And then could you step it out? And could could we hear again who that is? And they get so used to get they give it again and again, and then you end up in the editing room. You end up with tons of stuff you can cut out because you've clarified something six ways. How many times have we said this in the act? Okay, we can drop the three of those. How, yeah. Then how do you as writers, and, and you can speak to this too, having worked on Cold Case, how do you guys keep your characters from being exposition machines? You don't. You don't. At CBS, you don't. Right. No. And it's yeah. really maddening because the, the actors act- hate the act- it. They don't like it. And they hate you for it, which yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. 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 Never, Not really, but I mean, they're sort of like, why you did you write this crap? Right. And, and, you, like, and, you, and you can't say... Right. You have to do this because the network wants it. But then, yeah, yeah, again, no, yeah. the actors who are good about it and will just do it, you reward them with great storylines yeah, yes. because they've <laughs> yeah. done that for you. And there's a re- I mean, if you watched Numbers, there was this character who got to be like a Chinese spy and all this weird stuff, and that was because he would give any exposition you wanted him to any time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you're just like, good for you. Here you go. Um, but it, it also never felt like, watching the show, it never felt like they were just spouting exposition. 
That's nice of say. you to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were. Maybe it's, maybe it's the quality of, right, of actors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah. And yeah. It, the more you could try to get it into comedy or into something else going on at the yeah. time. When well, the drama's about something else and yeah. the, the, the words come out in the course of, I'm mad at you about you know, the fact that you did this thing. Exactly. Yeah. You try to put it's it. such a switch at USA where they asked us to pull, let the audience catch up. We don't mind if our audience is confused, which is, is you know, at CBS, yeah. it's like, confused people turn off the TV. Yeah. Right. So yeah. They turn the channel. I can't figure this out. Yeah. Well, right. so, if they figure out how to work their remotes. Yeah. Can, we, uh, can we give uh, an example of one of those notes? Which one? You're talking about the Nazi yes. notes? Oh, my God. Um, I'm afraid you do have is, to give that example. This is unbelievable. I mean, people think we make, this is an actual, we're doing. This is a great example of how much clarity they ask for. Oh, my God. Um, we're doing a story about uh, a family, oh, an elderly woman who whose entire family is killed during the Holocaust, and she is now trying to sue a museum to recover this piece of art that her family owned. And we're going through the story. And a different writer had written it, and, the sh- and uh, Barry Shindell was a showrunner, and this was his, he wanted to do it. And I'm in there kind of like as an executive producer helping in the notes call, one of those calls when yeah. the, everyone's on it. And one of the executives says, remind us again who killed this woman's family, and are we going to investigate those murders? (laughs) (laughs) And there was was dead silence. silence And everyone else is like too speechless to talk. So I just said, um, okay, the, the Nazis killed her family? And she literally answers, oh, good. That puts a face on the Nazis. Oh. You remember that? Yeah. Put a face on the victim? Put a face on the victim. Put a face on the victim. Oh. We've lost the victim. Can we see the victim oh. again? Oh, God, that's oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's so true, though. It's sorry. So true. Sorry to bring We've, you back. No, no, it's, it's, it's real. It's very... But that, that was classic. You know, like, explain to us one more time what Nazis are. <laughs> and this is, this is on one of those phone calls we were just talking about where there's yeah. like 30 people on the call. And you have no idea who just said that, and and no one else does it. So it could be Nina Tassler, or it could be you know some like right. the newest exit. So it's sort of like nobody really wants to say that the Nazis killed her. Exactly. War a long time ago. And you know, one time we had someone throw a Molotov cocktail. Oh, make a on camera. Yeah. They make the Molotov cocktail, and then they throw it. And later in the episode, the arson investigator says that was a Molotov cocktail. What's a Molotov cocktail? It's the thing you saw that he threw, and he made. Tell can us we what, have someone can say we, that? Can we have someone explain it? You just saw it. Well, yeah, but we want it explained. Yeah. Later that afternoon, I caught Cheryl in her in her office writing out the dialogue, making a moment. And I was like, "Stop!" <laughs> yes. <laughs> I said, "Yeah, but just, you told her to stop." Yeah. We can cut it in editing. <laughs> but it is. It's, it's so weird at, at USA. We were still kind of. We thought we weren't doing it, and we still were. And they'd yeah. say. You could do it less, 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 less. And we go, oh, God, we're so, tr- after six yeah. years, it's yeah. so. It was really amazing yeah. Yeah, it's, how really much it was that that reflex yeah. had been, had been like hammered into us. And it took a while before we could get it out. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know if it's completely out yet. I think we still have, still well, it's, a good, it's a good skill. Because, I mean, it is a skill set, yeah. too. Yeah. What you ask, you know, how do you hide that stuff so that it's not right. you're just completely lame? And, and you, you do. You find ways to do it. And that's sort of the art form of writing for network procedural television, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah. such as it is. I mean, I, I, think, I think it is an art form. Yeah. There's something really cool about it in a way. We, you know, what you guys did six seasons. So it says, by, by six seasons yeah. of these, you're just like, Gee, there's no low hanging fruit anymore. No. It's like no. every easy murder has happened. You, know, you yeah. have to start really digging. Every serial killer has been done. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is going to be, I have a couple of just quick numbers questions. Uh, were you ever afraid you were going to run out of math? Nope. No. Okay. No. I once, some, there's some, only so much math. Some, the first time we got that question was that we used to screen each, the beginning of each season, we'd screen it 
the, the opener at Caltech in front of like 1,500 Caltech people. And one person asked me that, and I said, well, are you afraid you're going to run out of math problems? And they, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> when, when we pitched the show to CBS, uh, I think we had a list of at least 15, if not 20. 50. We had oh we had fifteen episode ideas that and we were fifty because we knew that would we we, we were sure that would come sure. up yeah and it didn't in the pitch they yeah. bought it they bought it without that question no yep. then but that's because they were going to cut the math out after. but one right. of the <laughs> one of the crucial things to remember is sometimes what they don't ask when they buy the pitch and shoot the pilot they will then ask when you start trying to write episodes and it's like wait a minute. What are you going to do? Were you there when we were doing the thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Though I do um, think, though, that um, you know, it was difficult for some writers to get their head around, you know, because that's a whole other skill set beyond writing. It's like now I have to know how to do research math and, and to, applying an idea. And there were certain math areas I think we, the show, probably leaned on too heavily, like social networking and things like mm-hmm. that, which and which no one there. knew what it meant anyway, so you could yeah. do anything you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those those magic things like uh, CSI has, right? Yeah. Um, my other question was, before I ask about pitching, because I do want to hear about that um, on both numbers and uh, any other pilots you guys have done, um, did you guys rewrite all the scripts? Like, did you act as showrunners in that way? Or Only first season. season Only season oh, really? one. Yeah. And um, we were, because things weren't really working smoothly, and the showrunner wasn't meshing, we had writers who were kind of struggling. We were, like, doing a lot of page ones and rewriting a lot, and we were getting buried mm-hmm. and we then and we're really getting buried and we brought on a guy at about episode five the network uh, yeah, yeah Nina Tasser said I want you to meet this guy I think he could help you mm-hmm. and I talked to him on the phone and he was the first person who got the kind of stuff that yeah. you had to think about and that was Ken Sanzel and the thing about is what a weird guy he is he's He's 11 years an NYPD cop, mm-hmm. and a comic book freak and turned himself into a writer mm-hmm. and he can write I, I, he can rewrite. He can page one a script in two days, easy, oh, and have time day, and have time day. to kill. Yeah. And he can go from he can go from nothing to a finished script in the weekend, and yeah. it's shootable. He's yeah. the fastest thing I've ever. And he yeah. saved he saved our lives because we were getting one, yeah. buried at that point. Yeah. So. Yeah, because when you're having to page one rewrite everything, and yeah. production was uh, chaotic and, and behind schedule. And- but we only had to do thirteen. So so once we got kind of through that and Barry came aboard, we survived that 13 and then started the second season with a full-on more experienced staff. Mm -hmm. And you said that staff is the one who stuck around. That staff stuck around. We had one guy... Barry was Barry's a great guy, but he can be tough on outlines, the outline part. And this one guy was uncomfortable. He was a great writer, but he was uncomfortable with the whole math of it and the idea. Mm -hmm. And he went through one big... Outline notes session on his outline with Barry came out and quit, yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of that. And that was the one we pretty much the one we lost. We had a few staff people that we didn't have back, but generally it was a very yeah. Yeah. so so it it took the burden off of having to find the voice oh. of, or of you having to find the voice of the show. Yeah, but it was always was because board. we weren't run, there was always some friendly tension over sure. how yeah. we saw the show and the showrunners, and that case kind of always went on. But that there goes was, on anytime. That was our hardest challenge. Was episode to episode, year to year, was trying to maintain the, the tone of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, tell me about pitching that show, and tell me about pitching some of the other pilots that you worked on. What's your pitching style? Uh, um, how do you guys... It's funny. How do you guys we got, we got all into this. Uh, we were doing features. Like, Michael, we were feature writers yeah. making a living. It wasn't getting produced. And then that guy right there, 
who's my sure. feature agent, uh, said, uh, oh, yeah. Everyone rush him afterward. <laughs> he said, you, you have any interest in doing TV? And we said, we don't know what that means. He goes, well, let me introduce you to the side of the business that does TV. So we met our TV agent that way. And, it, and we said, how, how do you We'd have no TV? idea. So we went, he just said, you just go in and pitch what, what pilot. And so we, we pitched, our first thing was at Fox. And we had... Based on an, an old an feature. Old feature but we had such a great experience. TV is so fun when you... As you know, when you've been struggling in features and it goes slow and it's... Oh, and the it. time process. Uh, the, the difference between the, the timing... Uh, and also, TV is more... You get all that fun character stuff they don't have time for in a lot of features. And we loved it. And it didn't... It was... We did it with Imagine TV for Fox... Yeah. So we kept doing our feature work, yeah. and every summer we would go out and pitch. And our second one was with Mark Johnson. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he was he's, he's so oh, brilliant and wonderful. And yeah. that we sold to CBS, and it was about the NTSB that investigates plane crashes, and we, sold, we pitched it September 10th, 2001, <laughs> and they bought it September 12th. Wow. Yeah, yes. but then they were never going to make no. that. <laughs> and then we kind of did that, and then we did one the next year. We did Fox yeah, we the next year. Great. We sell a pilot, and they don't make it, and we make a yeah, little and, extra money. And, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of how we were thinking about it. And the fourth one was numbers. And we had this kind of crazy idea, and we um, sent, I, I remember our agent, we had like five or six ideas. He says, what do you feel like pitching? I said, well, here's what we're thinking about. And our, our TV agent, because he was very close with Laverne McKinnon, who was running development at the time, he forwards that email to her. Yeah. Any of these, yeah. yeah. Any of these interesting? Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even tell us. Yeah. And the one that was really written out was the one for numbers. Yeah. And she said, "Oh, I like the one about the brothers and the math. Bring, bring that one in." Yeah, we'd love to hear that. So we said, "Okay, we'll bring it in." Is there any production company you're working with currently you have a deal with that you're interested in? And she said, "Yeah, why don't you take it to Scott Free?" which was really in Tony's company. So we get in and met their TV guy. We all got on the same page, went in and pitched it. Halfway through, she bought, she it. bought it. And it was kind of, and then we thought it was going to be the usual thing. Now we're going to have fun writing it, turning it around Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> next, and wait, and wait till and next pitching and season. And then this, this different vibe started happening. You know that vibe. You can, they're calling you. Yeah. Something else is going on. Then we get a call two days before Christmas. It's like, Ridley Scott wants to meet you. You know. <laughs> you know. Okay. And then, yeah, I remember January 17th, they, you, the phone rings and got hold for Nina Tassler and Laverne McKinnon. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they now, passed. No, it's like that. 20 people already on the call, and it's like you jump on, you're like, what's happening? Exactly. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, and so yeah, no, yeah, guys, we're gonna do this one, and we had never been in production. This was yeah, the right. other thing. It's like hung up the phone. Is like, since film school, sorry. and it's like oh. I got. And Cheryl's like, don't tell anybody. That. <laughs> and I was still like, I had, you know, I was over. Not that I'm thin now, but I was pretty overweight at the time, and the the sheer panic of the whole process and not knowing anything about it, I dropped like in four months or something. <laughs> I went. I dropped 50 pounds. Yeah. I mean, she'd I come back eat, from the store I like, I, I got a size 8, and then she'd come back next week, I got a size 6, I said size 4. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stop. Yeah. Yeah. This production is but, unhealthy for me. But it, it was. I was so, it, it's, as I was telling them earlier in the green room, it's, um, it was like that, that horrible dream you have when you're in college, and it's the test, and you haven't even been there all thing. Mm-hmm. That, but it was life. It's like, we have to do this thing. We're not ready. We have no preparation. People are asking us questions. We have no idea how to answer. The first question they said is, do you want Chris? What's his name? 
He's on NCISLA now. Chris O'Donnell? Yeah. Okay. How about Chris O'Donnell for your starring? Oh, he sounds wrong. Cheryl's <laughs> first response to Let's Move is no. <laughs> Get me all the Jews you have instead. <laughs> That's what people want. But we shot the pilot. Tw- the other thing is we shot that pilot twice. Yeah. Completely. Oh, yeah. from day. We shot it once with a director who had never worked in TV and never worked in the United States. And we got had trouble casting it, and we ended up with a guy who's the lead of a show. We had, our first, the guy that Rob Morrow ended up playing was initially played by Gabriel Mott, who's the lead of Suits now. And he wasn't. I don't think that was not the role he was comfortable with. Things went oh, it was weird. And the pilot, we got the director's cut, and Nick and I took it and threw it on the old TV and looked at it, and I turned to Nick and said, well, say goodbye to our current television. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. And then Ridley and Tony took a look at it, and they said, this can't come out of our company. So Tony had yeah, just finished great. Man on Fire, and he, he said, I'm going to take your cut. It, you know, your editor's off it, your director's yeah. off it, it's mine now. Yeah. And Tony Scott took this cut. For four days. And with the team that had just finished Man on Fire, he threw his post team on it, music, editing, yeah. everything, and it special became... effects, and he made it like numbers on fire. Numbers on fire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he cut he in. He literally had dialogue going across the bottom oh. of the screen. But also yeah. with scenes that had not worked out, like this, they had this whole SWAT scene that was so turgid, I call it SWAT goes for coffee. Um, <laughs> he... Took the SWAT. He took, he took the SWAT scene from Seven. He took music we didn't own. He took stuff from Charlie's Angels. Yeah. He put in these. It just, uh, Kevin Spacey's suddenly in our pilot. <laughs> and it's this document you it's you could never. It's not cleared. It's totally illegal. Right. It's but but you could put it in, in an editing bay CBS. in front of Nina Tassler and yeah. say, hi. And she looked at it and said, I can sell this. Yeah. And then they actually, that's what they tested, too. We tested they they tested that, and that's how they realized that David Krumholtz and the premise yeah. tested through the roof. That's the marketing people came back and said, your lead character and your premise are home runs. Interesting. And when they did the focus group, you know, they break them down into the smaller groups, and they asked the question, you know, first, would you watch the show again if, if it was on again? And everyone said yes. And then they said, well, if you can say in one word why you would watch this show... What would it be? And everyone went, the math. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was the first time anyone at Paramount or CBS yeah. believed that yeah. at all. Wow. Sure. So then they said, at, at the same day uh, that they were picking up, you know, in May at the upfronts, Laverne called me from the upfronts and said, I'm sorry we can't get you on this fall. I was like, how the hell would you have done that? <laughs> but we're going to keep going with this. We're going we're gonna to make you a we're mid-season. We're going to again. So we, we so recast. recast did everything again and got a, a direct. We got Mick Jackson this time, who takes his pilots to series. And and, and and how was your confidence level at that point when you were, people were asking you questions? Did you have answers? Yes, because well, have, if you've done it twice, yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> the only thing is, we thought we wanted the brothers to be very close in age. We when we had. David Crumwell's at this point was 26. We were asking him to play 30, and we wanted his older brother to be 32, 34 max, and they said, we want you to cast Rob Morrow, who was 45. Like, okay. <laughs> so so we, Rob Morrow got younger. <laughs> yeah, Rob Morrow, David got older, Rob got yeah, younger. Right. Um, uh, this kind of... Uh, this is a question I've never asked, but it's something I think about, uh, and any of you guys can answer this. Um, you know, there is, in jumping into any of these endeavors, whether it's being in a room for the first time or having your pilot made for the first time, uh, there's uncertainty. Uh, and writers are notoriously not so confident. Uh, how much of your hand do you show? 
you know, how much do you have to put on that front of having the answers, and how much can you say, well, I'm here to learn as much as, you know, put it on. Thank you. I'm very good at this. I think you need to, especially if you're pitching something kind of out of the box, you need to kind of own it. Yeah. You got to own it. You got to pretend. I I was lucky enough. I had two pilots this year now because the first pilot, remember, it was going for 19 months. I went sold another pilot. (laughs) It was technically a pilot four years ago. Everything's going nowhere. Hey, FX. So, So I sold another pitch to FX and... In, it was, these were both of my first times ever pitching in the room, and it was one of those things where I was, you know, as nervous as I could possibly be. But I went in and sort of had a conversation with them about it, and and as part of it being a conversation, it was I don't know everything about this, you know, and it's like I'm just fascinated about the world, and I think the enthusiasm and, and the passion and all that is what mm-hmm. they they don't expect you to know all the answers. They don't know all the answers, like you said, you know, it's like there's no way to predict that that the casting wasn't going to be the right casting until you shot it and you saw it and you went, Ugh. and so. So, and they all know that as long as they believe that you're willing to be like, okay, we'll circle around back and we'll do it right the next time. I feel like that's the thing that 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 they they buy in the room more than even uh, sometimes sure. the idea or the execution. Can I ask you a weird sideways question about your um, no about the aircraft carrier? Yeah. Did you think about going to anyone who produced a movie that has aircraft carriers in it? No, because they may have built it. <laughs> they may have. Uh, we we we, uh, we have we have done. Uh, you searched. Oh my God, the work we have done <laughs> to get. And yeah, we talked to Michael uh, Michael Bay. Their Michael Bay's company is producing the Last Ship, and we've talked to them about using some of their sets. On, and Sony had produced Last Resort before then. We were talked about using some of their sets. But and yes, and at the end of the day, really, at the end of the day, it's not that complex a, a show to shoot. Eighty percent of it, but the twenty percent where you have to have people standing on a deck on with a deck, you know, like shooting off behind them. There's no way to do it. And we've yeah. seen extensions and. Um, but yeah, we we're, we are in con- yeah we're we're stealing everything we can from everybody who's made any book. Why? Can you tell us anything about the other pilot? The other pilot's with David O. Russell, um, which is I'm pretty excited about. Um, it's a paramedic pilot. It's, it's sort of a paramedic drama meets Silver Linings Playbook. It's a very strange. <laughs> Finally, it's very very strange. For it's called The Ruins. It's about a. It's about a doctor, like the super Boston Brahmin, awesome. Just the just my. I pitched it as Tony Stark if he was a doctor, and and but had no superpowers and no iron suit, and he winds up getting disbarred. He's unable to practice medicine anymore because he's uh, the, the horrible things that he's doing. And he wants, he's fine, I'll be a paramedic. So he goes and, and starts driving around as a paramedic, and he winds up with Amy Adams from The Fighter, and it's the two of them riding around. And, and, and uh, So it's a paramedic show, and there's, there's lots of paramedic-y kind of drama, but it's really a character drama about these two people discovering that they have sort of this family together and, uh, and you know, filtered through David O's sort of lens of crazy. So. And how did, how did uh, he get involved, or how did you get involved? He, uh, Sarah Timberman, who produces Justified... Um, Asked me what I wanted to do next, and I pitched. I, I had written the paramedic pilot before that. That was never going to get made. It was just like a, a sample, but we've now cribbed a lot of. Why it the paramedic thing. stuff? I, I was I was up in EMT for oh, a minute. Wow. Yeah, I, uh, and it was. It's always been a world that I've been fascinated by, but it's a really hard world to do because. As a paramedic, you treat the people and you drop them off the hospital and you never see them again. And and that's that's always why the drop why that that show wouldn't sell. So there's always trying to find a way to, to, to connect to this. It was interesting to us. And 
we realized that it, okay, what, the most fascinating thing about it to me is this life interrupted when you go into somebody's house and, they've, and they're sick or they're dead or they're whatever is going wrong with them. And you carry them out of there and then it's like, you know, there's still food cooking in the oven. There's still the TV still on. And, and we, we just got really fascinated by what if you had somebody who just didn't really care about being a paramedic and just started living in, these, living in this world. And, and so it's, it's weird. It's a very strange sort of concept, but it's, it's intentionally comedic and intentionally sort of, uh, it's got a rescue me sort of uh, persona to it. Um, cool. I forgot whether I'm answering the question anymore. I think I'm so. rambling. I think. <laughs> uh, good luck. Uh, we have time for a couple of questions. Do you guys have questions? You mentioned a spacecraft in 2019. Um, specifically, is that is there any like truth to that? Or is it... No. <laughs> it's been stuck in my no, no, it's, no, it was. It was uh, None of us have been able to concentrate on anything else. We're going to name the ship that I wanted to name the ship the Lexington, and I wrote three thousand drafts of it as the USS Lexington. They're like, it can't be the USS Lexington. So, um, so now I had to change it, and uh, big, like, what are we going to change it to? And so I just wanted to change the Robert F. Kennedy, and there's already another ship called the Robert F. Kennedy. This is way more of an answer than you were. But, but it's not a spaceship. This is actually one of these like little problems that seems so specific to television. Like we hit this all the time. Yeah, all oh, the time. oh, legal clearances. Clearances yeah, will I'm drive me like, crazy, particularly when we, you know, at CBS. They're they're uh, very very touchy at CBS. Yeah, very touchy. And touchy. we, yeah, you know, what you can show, yeah. what you can't show, and I would get these oh. endless uh, pages and pages and pages of you what can't. what oh, cleared, we what to say didn't clear. Yeah. Like, and they were like, no, we cannot say douchebag. I'm like, you have people. Criminal Minds has people like yeah. draining blood out of people upside down. I, we can't say douchebag. They're like, no, no, no. that's true, and no. But we yeah, but CBS is particularly the... more than the other networks very sensitive about any product yeah. that's being oh, yeah. shown because their ad their ad time is so sacrosanct. And, you know, they don't want anything. We did a show where there was a character who was supposed to be a reporter from Vanity Fair, and we could only say Vanity Fair twice in the episode. And you couldn't see it. You couldn't see a cover. Sure. Yeah. yeah it's, it's um, starting here with Michael, tell us what are you are watching on television? Uh, what are you reading? What are you going to movies and seeing? What's getting you excited or inspired to yeah. write yourself? I'm desperately excited for Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad. Me too. Um, really sad. I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I follow Mike Slovis on... Uh, Twitter. He's the DP of Breaking Bad, and he keeps posting these things. Like he'll take a picture of the. Well, we've just ordered the last batch of film for Breaking Bad. It's so sad. <laughs> uh, so there's that. But I mean, everybody watches that. I, actually, but my wife and I just started. We're a little late to this one, but uh, Friday Night Lights. We just started oh, streaming that. Um, and uh, we're like halfway through the first season, um, really enjoying that. Stick with it through the second season. Oh, yeah. Through second, even when, yeah. even yeah. when that stuff happens, yeah, yeah. Okay. stick with it. Yeah. Second half of second seasons. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, good to know. Um, and and you're a movie guy. I'm a movie. Are guy. Are there movies yeah. that you loved recently, whether they're new or old or whatever? I thought we had a pretty good year. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Looper. Great year. Right, great, terrific movie, um, and and I'm a big fan of Flight. I thought that those to both those scripts, um, we know a little bit. Uh, the guys who wrote that, Ryan Johnson, wrote Looper, and and uh, John Gatons who wrote Flight. For me, I, I got to read that just by pestering him for the script when it was in production, but but before the movie came out. And damn, that's a good script. Really? Yeah. What I'm always curious about this. What what was it for you that set it apart as being a, a great script? Uh, I think 
that I just felt completely, I just completely bought the world and the characters. I never questioned that this writer understood and had a complete mastery over the story and, and who those people were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really... Yeah, and you can feel that, it's just, absolutely. Yeah, it just, uh, you know, couldn't wait to turn the page and, you know, find out what happened next. That's great. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you looking at? I, you know, Game of Thrones for me, Breaking Bad as well. I, the Breaking Bad thing's weird now because I have a connection, you know, I'm dealing with them constantly. And and, and so I, I've been in the room and I've seen the board and it's just like, ah, God, I can't. <laughs> they have amazing offices too, don't they? Oh, yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. like it's like the, it looks, looks like where you would make meth. Yeah. It's totally <laughs> like and they could. crappy little place in Burbank yeah. where, you know, yeah. that, that's got a... That's some in joke. I can't remember what, they, what it's called, Delphonic something or yeah. other. Is yeah. their actual place where you ring the bell? And, but it's like, the bad part of North Hollywood too. Oh, it's, it is. Oh, yeah, boy, look out! This. It's also. I mean, listening to you talk about Justified Breaking Bad, the way they put the show together is the complete opposite. Yeah. Like yeah. every single so thing is, is written months in advance and is not really changed. And like yes. they have a plan and they are precise. It's fun to watch Vince and Graham get together because oh. they're so completely different in the way that they do story yeah. and the. But but they're and they, and they get along great and they and they have so much respect for one another's work which is kind of neat. But um, uh, if you ever have a chance, you should read Vince Gilligan's script called Breaking um, No Battle Creek. Has anyone, if you get a chance, find Battle Creek and read it's one of the best pilots I've ever read. Is this an old something old? Yeah, it's yeah. old. It's good. And CBS, I think, almost made it and then backed out. But yeah. it's just a beautiful world and piece of writing and everything. I, yeah, I love re- I love reading his stuff. He's, yeah. he's, that's just, I, you know, I, I enjoyed reading the scripts too, and I read Flight, and I really enjoyed it. Movies, I did You know, I, I liked the you know the stuff that everybody. It was a good year. It was uh, Zero Dark, and um, I didn't like a lot of the movies as much as a lot of people liked them. But I don't know. It's like it, the thing with getting a. I don't know if you went through this too when you go through the pilots. Like your amount of time you have, mm-hmm. like two hours in a movie theater, is just like yeah. dude, I, you, you got you got ten minutes. And mm-hmm. I, you don't have me. I'm, I gotta go. Um, so Lincoln was just sort of like, oh god, <laughs> oh my god, and I know how it ends. <laughs> So and it was great. I'm mean, so it's like you were, like I can't be like it was bad, but it was just right. like I, I seriously. I watched Stephen, it in four I, sittings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I gotta go. I can't stay for this. This is. It's like an episode. Tonight's episode of like. Yeah. <laughs> Fade in. Can, yeah. can I add one thing to my? I'll allow it. House of Cards on the Are you Netflix watching House of Cards? Show. Yeah, I yeah, thought it was ter- really terrific. I haven't checked it out yet. People oh, keep saying. Oh, really the Americans. I'm plugging the Americans. Oh, the Americans. Really, really, really good show. It's yeah. um, it's coming into its own. I think as it comes along, that's good to hear. I'm a little behind on it. It's good. Yeah, but I like it. So two far. is, but then from there it just sort of takes the steady. Um, plus, it's got Margot Martindale, so we're, right. we're always happy. Yeah. To see <laughs> She's so good. <laughs> uh, what are you guys watching, reading, looking at, putting in your eyes and ears? Well, we're we're very different. Yeah, we're very. I watch a lot but, of stuff, and I watch. She's voracious. I'm yeah. pretty voracious, but uh, I do love the Americans, and we watch a lot of comedy. That's what yeah. we watch as yeah. a family. We watch. Um, I was gonna say if I watch, if I'm watching stuff on television, it's almost always comedy. And my daughters uh, really tapped me into a lot of great stuff like Adventure Time, and regular show, and regular show, Gravity, Archer, Gravity, probably my yeah. favorite show right now. Archer is wonderful. Gravity oh, Falls. Have you seen I love the Gravity Falls? Falls. Really Gravity, Gravity Falls is if you haven't seen it, it's on the Disney Channel. I know that's not where you normally go. It's so much fun, but it it's is. so it's much a fun. Show. And then the show Legit. On it. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. enormous fun. Yeah. Um, Louis. Oh, I'm trying to yeah. think what else. Um, I watched. Uh, I'm trying to try. I never used to watch nighttime soaps, but I've tried to watch more because our show has. We're going to try to pervert the usual 
soap cliches, but it does have some of that. So we're, I've watched Scandal, which mm -hmm. I think built nicely. Watch his show. Mm -hmm. uh, watch your show, though. I save it up. I do save yeah. up my Justifieds yeah. and watch them in a. Yeah, I know a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. Prefer it that way. And, uh, for features, I think the one. Sh I mean, there are two movies I particularly love, Life of Pi, but the movie that really um, inspired me in terms of my writing would be uh, Django. Mm -hmm. I was never a big Tarantino fan before. I appreciated his work, but this, the writing, the character work was phenomenal. I loved it. Oh, an end of watch. Just, just I loved. Oh, it. End of I just watch. saw that. Yeah. End of yeah. watch. Yeah. Yeah. Weird Wonderful. little ending in the. It was just. But I didn't care. I was. Just I did. Like, this I saw that on airplane, awesome. and I got totally sucked it's, into it. It just yeah. really hooks you. The yeah. dialogue is phenomenal in that movie, and uh, yeah. Yep, and um. I like Veep. I like I like a lot Veep? of. Oh my God! Stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. All the comedies. Are I like I like how much you guys like TV. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's a sometimes great it time. Well, you, you know, yeah. it's really weird because sometimes I do watch a lot, and you get in a room some like on numbers. We had one guy, with, and this is again 2004, and we were working with him. He had never seen CSI. And, and CBS yeah. was asking us to do some of those things where you go inside, you know, you have a, yeah, an Charlie illustration of an idea, yeah. and he was like. Well, I don't know how we do that. Whose POV yeah. is that? What motivates us to go? What, and it's just like, it's just, it's nobody's POV, it's just a visual. And, <laughs> and if you It's just a trope now. You, you're, you're, you're not up, if you're not up on the language of the medium. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you don't know what fast yeah. cuts look like now, if you don't know what time compression looks like now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. Uh, please give a round of applause for all of our panelists. <laughs> Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and to A26LA. Now leaving Nerdist.com.